Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I don't see any American dream. I see an American nightmare. We never initiate any violence upon anyone. But if anyone attacks us, we reserve the right to defend ourselves. When you're in your own nation, in your own land, you're in a position to get justice. But when you're in another man's country, in another man's land, you have to look for that other man for justice, and you'll never get it. We're nonviolent with people who are nonviolent with us. But we are not nonviolent with anyone who is violent with us. Anytime you beg another man to set you free, you will never be free. We are ready and willing to pay the price that is necessary for freedom. What price are you talking about, sir? Welcome to Make It Plain, a show where two Christians offer reflections on the words and life of Malcolm X. I'm Philip Holmes. I'm Taylor Gray. We're your hosts. All right, guys, before we dive into this week's episode, you already know what I'm about to say. If you've been listening, visit our new website, makeitplain.co, and download our Make It Plain Season 1 Discussion Guide. Also, if you have listened to a few episodes, especially if you've been listening since Season 1, Please, please, please go and rate our podcast on Apple and Spotify. Apple, our goal is 300 ratings by the end of the season. And on Spotify, our goal is 100 ratings. That makes a huge difference. Taylor, you got anything to add to that? And I think it's just the easiest thing you can do to uh, show your support. And it it really means a lot. So please definitely go comment. All right, Taylor. There you go. Floor is mine. All right. So I've got a quote here and I'm just going to go dive right in. He says this. If you are black, you were born in jail in the north as well as the south. Stop talking about the south. As long as you are south of the Canadian border, you are south. All right, my southern brother. How did you take that? This spoke to me, bro. Because. You know, being somebody from the South, especially from Mississippi, mm-hmm. I'm always, I mean, Cascade, they could be from the South, mm-hmm. but like, especially Northern, Northern brothers and sisters, like they always talk, man, I don't want to come to Mississippi. Or, oh man, y'all got it hard down there in Mississippi. Oh man, I, I, y'all, y'all got to be in dark. And I'm like, bro, I live in Jackson, it's 80% black. I'm married black. All of our cops are black. I'm so great. Now I'll give you another, another instance. Like when, so we lived in Minneapolis for a little bit, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah, Minneapolis has been in the news a lot. 100%, yes. A lot, bro. I swear we were, after we had given birth, we were, you know, do, going to do, do checkups for our oldest win. And one of the doctors or nurses was like, oh, so, you know, uh, what, what's next for you guys? I don't know how we got it, but we just told them that we were transitioning back to Mississippi. And the looks in their face was like, oh, y'all be careful. <laughs> I'll be careful. And I'm just, and I'm, I'm always indignant, bro. Like Mississippi has its issues, but it's my home. It's yeah. my state. I'm always represent. Yeah. And I'm all, and you try to talk down. Don't just, don't do that around me. Hey man, look, I'm going to just tell you like. But as, no, but no, but we, but we got to connect the dots. Cause you know, I okay. forget. Yes. Do it. Do it. Since then, Philando Castile, mm. where was he murdered? Minneapolis. He was killed 
probably less than a mile, mile and a half from our house while we were still there. So we hadn't even gotten out of Minneapolis. Like, this was days. He got killed days after we had wow. that conversation, that reaction. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, George Floyd. Mm-hmm. The South gets such a bad rap, and there's this assumption. I think there's this false – Malcolm, I think, would probably agree with this. this. There's this false sense of security perhaps some northern people have had. I think that's decreasing more and more now. Mm. But that nor- northern black people have had as it relates to, you know, oh, we're in the north. Like, you know, <laughs> like we're we, we free, like, right? Yeah. As opposed to what life is like for us in the south. And it's always – it's always bothered me because there's always this emphasis on the South. And Malcolm, during his time, was very clear, though. Like, bro, like, people in the South are oftentimes more racist than the people. I mean, the people in the North, rather, are more racist yeah. in a way, in some ways, than the people in the South. Yeah. I mean, un- unpack that because, like, you're from the North, right? What's your from view the of the South? You're, you're from the Midwest, technically. <laughs> Is that right. still the North? It's still the North. Yeah, you know, it's 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 different kind of pockets and different ways that this manifests. But yeah, I'm I'm from the northern part of the country and we do consider ourselves somewhat separate from the South and in the Midwest in some ways we may consider ourselves to be cousins of our, our, our southern neighbors. And being from Columbus, Ohio, there there is a way that we do look at Mississippi. I was about to say, because like if if you're in Ohio, like that's like, like that was one of the destinations for the Great Migration. So you in the North? Uh, facts, yes, yeah. I am. I am in the North, and you know, some folks would would call areas like Jackson and even further south, or just Mississippi as a whole, called uh, Godforsaken uh, Mississippi. You know, my grandfather is from Mississippi. Uh, he's oh, from, of course, Every, yeah, most black people. Yep, yep, yep. and and he's from an area that hasn't progressed much in terms of the the societal representation of black people. And um, that was the, the only time I've ever been to where he's from is when I was one years old. So I, I have no recollection of it, but I've seen the pictures. It's a different experience up north. I think, you know, in general, there's maybe this air of sophistication that it feels like we have, like we're more sophisticated, more advanced, more progressive in some ways. And then it gets, it reaches new levels when you get up to the East Coast and maybe, you know, the West Coast and the Northwest and et cetera, et cetera. But there's kind of just this air of we're further along. You know, or we're doing things better or we we don't do the, the things that are so offensive that cause like the polarization and the negative response. We stay out of the news in that way. And clearly, since it's 2022, we can see that there's a, a difference in the way that that's actually depicted. But for Malcolm to say this at that time, you know, I think it was it was the response for when he said that was just kind of rousing laughter. Because there was a sense that, you know, there is a difference between the North and the South. Last season, as I was telling you kind of, you know, off mic, I was educated by your perspective about who Malcolm was in the South, you know, versus his reputation in the North because he cut his teeth in the North. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, I think his message still could travel South. It just has different implications. You know, it's also worth mentioning that, you know, we don't know what necessarily in comparison, the nation of Islam's presence was in the South versus the North. Could he draw the same kind of crowd? You know, could he have campaigned in the streets, talked so boldly and strongly against the church and Christianity in the South? And he wouldn't have had any black allies though. Exactly. 
Exactly. So for him to say this and just basically say anything, essentially, uh, south of Canada is the south for, for black people because we're all in a condition of oppression. I think that's the point that ultimately travels well from that time to this time. Yeah. I mean, and I think that, you know, if you read Warmth of Other Sons, that a lot of black people knew that once they transitioned to the North, things were better, but they weren't that much better. Mm. However, there was this sort of, you know, and I've, I've, I've experienced this because, again, I have cousins in Detroit. I had an uncle. Mm-hmm. For the long time, my, my grandmother who just passed away, her brother lived in Dayton. I have an uncle that lives in Chicago, my granddad's brother. So a lot of family up there. And there's sort of this... Like when I remember when I was a kid, especially like when they would come to town, they would come down in nice cars and it was like, oh, you know, like Shirley's back at home. Like, you know, go to church, like Shirley's saying, hey, how you doing? You know, tell us, <laughs> tell us, how, give us an update, give the church an update, you know, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And and it we kind of felt like like our cousins in the north were like cooler, you know, like they were they were more educated, right? And and they kind of even carried themselves like that in some ways. Even though when you look at the facts, like reflecting on the now, that wasn't always the case. But it kind of felt like that at times. Mm. So so for us, you know, I was um, I was looking at a quote from The Warmth of Other Sons, and it basically said it occurred to me that no matter where I lived, geography wasn't going to change who I was. Basically, mm. geography wasn't going to save me. And, and I think a lot of people knew that internally, but again, there's the facade that they felt like they had to keep up to say, you know, my life has improved some. Well, it's so interesting, man, because now it seems like if there is any kind of migration going on for black people, they're going south. You know, like I was just in Atlanta this past week and Atlanta is pretty much referred to as the new Wakanda you know, like yeah. there's black people everywhere. Atlanta's different, as, bro. Well, I, and I know that's a culture in and of itself, but it's actually the destination for tons of black folks in the north. You know, and then you get places like Charlotte and, you know, it's 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 an actual strategy for a lot of black folks to just get down south. Now, some of that, you know, it's just warmer temperatures in general. And, and then there's opportunities, economic opportunity and things like that. But very different. Then the time that we're talking about, you know, where Malcolm's making his speech, like you said, the migration, the great migration is going north. And to some degree, like we talked about uh, last episode, the the conditions are a little safer. You know, the knife is pulled out of the back of six inches instead of nine. So you can maybe own a home. You can kind of build a community. You can participate in, in certain economic advantages in certain ways. And clearly Malcolm was educated in, in a system that would have never been accessible to him in the South. Right. So there are measurable differences, but I think that the condition of oppression in this country for black people wasn't necessarily a debate. It was, right. it was about different manifestations. And I think that's the point well taken in the sense of even in what Malcolm was trying to accomplish in that speech is to rally people together for a common cause you may not like my voice because I historically spoken from the nation of Islam and I consider myself to be a Muslim now, but I'm here with other pastors in this church to communicate this point. But I, I still feel like in some ways we contend with those different parts of the country superiority complexes in the black community. And we talked a little bit about this last season about how Malcolm, even before his his life change or you want to call it his conversion moment 
he observed the differences between the uppity black folks and the the street folks, the, the Roxbury Negroes. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Like, and that's still a real thing, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, in in our our quest for unity, if you want to just kind of use that blanket term or a, a unified sense of identity, we still run into that. Right. You know, and so I wonder, like, if you feel that being a resident of Jackson, like, and, and it's so funny because I've tried to convince you to move, you know, like, or at least and now I feel a little, a little, I feel a certain type of way knowing that you got family up in the Midwest and you still ain't came up to see me. So, yeah, you still need to make your way up up north a little bit. But I wanted to know, like, based on what you just said, like, do you still feel like there is this superiority complex because again Martin Malcolm's the contracts contrast that we we look at now but we really could look at Du Bois and Booker T as well you know I don't know like I haven't got out much over the last three years so I would have to do another survey of uh (laughs) black folk to see how they talk about Mississippi but I mean I, I think I was reading a tweet from somebody where they talked about the south was mentioned I think it was I can't remember the the exact words of the tweet but the South was mentioned in a negative connotation, escaping mm-hmm. the South, right? Mm-hmm. It was something like that. Mm-hmm. And again, I just think this kind of gets right back to like Malcolm's point. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, if they don't really, and th- but this person was actually from the South who, who made that statement. Mm-hmm. Now, oh. I, think, I think a lot of people, though, are coming to grips with the fact that a lot of these murders, especially at the hands of police, with the exception of uh, Ahmad, are happening primarily in the North. Mm-hmm. And and so there's there's been way more incidents incidents at least recorded incidents right because you know if there's not cell phone footage or something like that mm-hmm. it basically didn't happen and the guy was a criminal and we never really will hear anything about it mm-hmm. and the only thing we only reason we know the Ahmad story was because actually uh, a group of guys that I've actually been working with actually campaigned. And did a lot of work locally to actually get national attention, give the, a case national attention. Yeah. So these guys were like, after they had like murdered this guy, they were walking around for like three to six months. Yeah. And then the pandemic happened, and all of a sudden, everybody's attention shifted towards this, and these guys have been working locally. Yeah, it's it's you know it's interesting, man, because the South does have its part in the narrative, particularly of of police brutality. You know, you've got Alton Sterling and, of course, got Trayvon Martin. Right. You know, yep. like that. was in Florida. Yeah. Is Florida yeah. considered itself to sell? You tell me, bro. How do you feel about them? I, I mean, I know how they feel about us. They don't try to, they, <laughs> they, they don't think they're the South. Look, all of y'all. It's, like, the, it's the bottom part of Alabama. They say that's the South and everything else is it's, it's just Florida. They, they ban in books like, like they're in the South, too. <laughs> But these, okay, so we can still observe, right. like, some of these these disparities or whatever. But I, I think that, like, there is, there's probably wasted energy in trying to compare and see whose condition's worse. And, oh, 100%. And, and that's, that's the thing is, like, we don't have to make the choice of who deserves more sympathies. Just let's unify and try to address our general concern. Yeah, because we, now we all have the same problem. We, we've always had the same problem. And well, to, to different degrees, right? So but that's what I'm so, saying. So, yeah, it's yeah. the same different manifestations, but the same problem. Yes, yep. same problem. But I don't know, man. Like it's it, it is a conversation I think worth continuing. Like the 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 place and the perspective I come from, at least as far as this kind of conversation getting a lot of energy and attention comes from like the hip hop perspective. So you know, at a certain point, 
hip hop, like real hip hop, was only considered to be authentic and worth visiting mm-hmm. in the East Coast. Right. Like that's the most sophisticated form comes out of New York City, et cetera, et cetera. You get all of these people who essentially owned the reputation of hip hop. Then it traveled west, and West Coast cats like you know NWA and all of them kind of came out the gate and said, "Nah, like you're not going to ignore us." But then, as we know and probably have heard in, in our times, we heard Outkast come out of the South and said their famous phrase. Andre Three Thousand says the South has something to say. Mm-hmm. All right, fast forward now. Where are we at? The South is literally the central the central point of hip hop activity. Everything in terms of sound and culture that is reflected as mainstream hip hop has come from the from the south. Yeah, no, that's true. It's all from the south. And yep. so instead of like these kind of culture wars of like this is better, this is real, it's just like man, let's just appreciate how our story and our sound travels yeah. everywhere we go and then there is a universality to it. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah, I want to transition too to talk a little bit about Malcolm's insight. He's just mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. So again, everybody else is saying, "Well, at least we ain't from the south. Okay. At least, at least we right. lived in the north." And Malcolm is like, "Look, listen. If you south of the Canadian border, you were born in jail. Yes, America. Right? You don't got any reason to look down on them or think that you your plight because because that's what Mike what what Malcolm was trying to avoid is this sort of conflate complacency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that, yeah. that you know we compare our situation to the person over there and we say, yeah. "Well, at least we ain't them. Yes, and we don't we're not motivated to pursue." better because we think that this is as good as it gets the knife six inches out you know that's a trauma response like the knife isn't even out the body and you up here celebrating like we we got progress Mm -hmm. like we talked about last episode and i think again like that for him to say that where he was he was in michigan one of the most northernmost states at this 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 church and to to bring people to focus in terms of the urgency of the moment like, this is an urgent time. This is on the hinges of a presidential election. You need to make sure you mobilize appropriately. This is the kind of stuff that I love about Malcolm X. And it makes him polarizing to a certain degree because, you know, Southern folks could be like, well, who who are you to speak on what's, what's different? You know what I'm saying? Who are you to speak for us? And I don't even know if we consider you one of us. You know what I mean? But if Dr. King can travel, then why can't Malcolm X, you know? King's travels to the north didn't go that great. They didn't go well at all. Yeah. You know, the hostilities were still very much evident. So, I mean, like you said, Malcolm decided to 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 make this an emphasis point for the purposes of understand. I think better understanding our country as a whole. So, we're not fighting regional fights necessarily. Like, what is the the unifying quality to this message? And, you know, from the from the church's perspective, you know, I think that we have some reason to to visit with this as well, you know, because, again, like the way the gospel gets communicated down here is sometimes, no, oftentimes communicated very differently in different parts of the country. Also worked it down. I'll say like. There's a number of our educational institutions, seminaries, et cetera, et cetera. They're down south communicating a certain emphasis point of the gospel as it relates to conservative values. You know, like saying we are holding on to the faith as best communicated in these kinds of definitions of family and morality that are core to the Christian faith. And 
our identity is shaped by what I would say a regional emphasis Mm -hmm. versus in the North is just like, nah, like we have to address these systemic issues. We have to get into more of these environments that shape policy for a different population of folks who don't have a voice. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, well, who's right? Whose gospel is true? What's the real gospel? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And we always come to these places where, we, we may not pay attention, pay attention to the regional differences that we have, but I think at the end of the day, we have an opportunity to learn from each other. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's this both end kind of quality to community and fellowship and, and what it means for the church to retain its identity that ultimately is the best kind of witness we need to have to the world. You know, but if we keep on segmenting these arguments and, you know, these institutions, these seminaries from down south keep saying like, yo, we have the monopoly on what the Christian faith should convey. And if you don't come on our terms, you're not welcome to the faith. Then it's just like, yo, fam, like I'm now like the the effect of that is now struggling like this proximity we have to each other is 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 sitting across from a transgender person. I can't physically do that. Because that I'm so I'm so conflicted morally that I can't see this as this person as a human. Right. Yep. And there's a real effect to that, and that affects your your evangelistic capability. It affects just the basic love and civility you can have for another human being. And and I and I am very confident in saying that this is not Christ's intention or even the love that He left for us. Right. Let me ask you this question: Like, okay, so. Being from Jackson, you know, just kind of dovetailing from that point, the conservative values thing, you know, is there, what, what would you say if if Malcolm represents kind of like this progressive application of an ecumenical pursuit of good, your instincts, what do your instincts tell you when it comes to the church's capacity for ecumenical partnership towards the good? Do you still feel like certain separatism is necessary or do you feel like we have some opportunity to grow there as a conservative? Oh, well, I'm I'm not really a conservative. I'm technically a classic. Look, look, I just I just assume, you know, we in Jackson, I just feel it in the water. Classic liberal, (laughs) uh, a.k.a. libertarian. Okay, are you 60 percent? Would you say you lean conservative at least? Like, would you give us that? Will you give the audience your, will you show your card? Fiscally or socially? There we go. There, and, and off we go. What's what's the nuance there? I'm a libertarian. <laughs> uh, you do your own research to try to figure that out. I'm not going to spoon feed you on, on what libertarians believe. But for black people, I would we're, probably we're be ignorant. more on the conservative side of libertarian. But that's libertarian. what I'm saying. Like for, for black but people. I would probably be more moderate on even some social things than most conservatives would be. What would be what would be implications for being libertarian as a black person? Because I don't hear that trap that that conversation doesn't travel into the community as much as maybe it could. Because like these ideas, no, that, yeah, these ideas on. must travel. Like yeah. and if if Malcolm is saying what he's saying, he's like these ideas have to travel everywhere. Right. They can't just exist in one part of the so country. One of the, so I'll, I'll tell you this: one of the things that as a black libertarian that you have to rec- reconcile or wrestle with is libertarianism kind of assumes that everyone has is, is moving towards a society. So here's the good part where everyone is treated equal. Okay. Is is moving towards a pure capitalism in a sense, right? Right now, again, we've just, we talked about it uh, in, a, in the last episode, two episodes ago, that America has pretty much wanted 
socialism for the rich, capitalism for the poor. And I think King said rugged capitalism for the poor. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many things, again, that the government subsidizes. I mean, I'm just thinking about the pandemic and how much money was given to the corporations. Mm. Yeah. And and to build them out, right? So the government is is in the business of picking winners and losers, right? Mm. And for so long, African-Americans were not allowed to win, Mm. No matter what. As a matter of fact, when we were winning, the government did nothing to protect us, to protect our our rights to win, right? Black Wall Street is one of the most famous of that because the government didn't come in and loot and tear up our stuff, but that was never repaired. Our our stuff was never restored. That community was never restored. It just ceased to exist. Mm -hmm. And then there's the countless other examples of being denied the opportunities for education and certain jobs and so on and so forth. Now, when it comes to libertarianism, what you didn't have to reconcile, though, is if we want libertarian today, we got to reckon with the fact that this has not always been the case, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it, you, you can't just say, now we got pure capitalism because repair, right, has mm-hmm. not taken place yet. Mm-hmm. Restitution has not taken place yet. And I do see a lot more libertarians acknowledging that we just can't have a, a libertarian society mm-hmm. in America, at least. Maybe you can go somewhere else and create a new, a new, a new world, yeah, if you yeah, will. Yeah. You can't in America say, "All right, now everybody has a clean and and not do something to repair the damage that has been done in the past." Right. Uh, to try to pretend that it didn't exist because it did. I think that some of the easiest ways that libertarians could address begin to address some of those things would be not instead of giving because I I, I kind of struggle with putting money in the pockets of individual. But as a libertarian, you know, we're kind of famous for saying like taxation is theft, right? <laughs> so, so how about stealing less of our hard earned money? So mm-hmm. if, 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 if there was just tax, significant tax breaks, mm-hmm. right. For the African-American community, you know, I don't know about how I feel really about borrowing money from the government, but like no interest government loans, right. Which, which people, Got yeah, exactly. In this country, Amer- other other ethnic groups, we have done this right. But as opposed to like sending someone a check or you know doing all these things, I'm not I'm not really really for that in general. But yeah. I, there c- could be some exceptions where I'm sympathetic to it, even if on principle, yeah, I would want to see if there was a better way or well, a more just, efficient way. Yeah, but that's the thing, bro. Is like when those, ha- so those. Are, but to answer your question, those are the things that you kind of wrestle with. Yeah, but that gets your mind going about what's possible because, again, like as we talked about in previous episode, the, the political polarizations, like you got choice A and choice B. And in general, like libertarianism, I'll speak just kind of like maybe from the everyday black person, like in the barbershop. Like if I just do that, like what y'all think about the libertarian perspective? They're like, oh, yeah, ain't that just some Republicans who found a different term? 100 percent. You know, and, 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 and to some to some extent, they're right. Like there, there are a lot of people who are co-opting the phrase libertarian, but they don't care about the militarization of police mm. and how police are basically entering people's homes without knocking and then shooting them dead. But that's it. Like, we have to Like, that's something that libertarians should be, like, like riding as a result. Because, like, that's 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 an absolute no-no. That is... So you've identified a passion point. You've identified a unifier. You've identified something that could actually rally people around a different political perspective. Prob- but the problem is with the Libertarian Party, right, is that 
most libertarians don't like to associate with libertarian parties because it's usually the guys who live in the backwoods with a shotgun who's like, these are my guns and, you know, this is my land and they're off the grid. And then when they try to get to come to any conclusions, you always have these guys who are like super extreme libertarians who are basically anarchists. And then you have these <laughs> other guys who are willing to work. work. So they, they never get anything done. They never come together. Mm. Like the differences between like mm. the libertarian candidates could be so like minute, but like they will like not, they would tear each other down. So they, they, they don't really work together mm. to try to, and then you have the people who co-op, mm-hmm. right, the phrase, but don't really understand it, have never done any research to actually know. They, they co-opt it the same way people co-opt Republican and, well, and Democrat. I think, you know, and we, we made this point earlier about, you know, kind of the disparity of education. I just think that people need to know what these terms mean, you know, and, and particularly Black people in this country, we need to know, we at least need to have a survey of our options, like, you know, what we buy into and why, you know, what we would support and why, and and have kind of like a unifying quality to the issues that we care about and where we find those folks who can address those issues. And I think just we suffer for lack of knowledge in, in some ways, and they, they may never meet the the prominent politician that is libertarian is just on the voting card or whatever, but they may meet Phil Holmes and it's just like, I ain't never heard of a brother who can break it down like that. And and it gives you something to take away. You talk about police infringing on kind of personal rights or personal property. Like, man, this is why hip hop like has to intersect with this because the person who has talked about that most freely and openly for me is killer Mike. Yeah. You know, like he's yeah. actually given black folks a sense of empowerment about their own personal property and and been a high, high supporter of, you know, carrying a pistol. So again, going back to our, our last episode about the knife in the back. Right. Mm-hmm. Just because he don't take it out don't mean you got to sit there and bleed to death. Right. So so if we're in a situation where we feel like white people aren't acknowledging the sins of the past, uh, aren't trying to do anything to repair, that still doesn't leave us with any excuse to just lay there and die, Facts. right? We Facts. still have a responsibility and a moral agency, and, some, and oftentimes it's both and, right? So when we come to these conversations, people don't know what to do when you're saying, I'm still going to hold like you as a class or as a people in general accountable mm-hmm. for your refuse for your refusal to to, to repair mm-hmm. and or even acknowledge right mm-hmm. and think deeply and to, or to teach your kids about what has happened right all those things right yeah while at the same time I'm still going to earn like my money I'm still going to build my wealth mm-hmm. I'm still going to take care of like and I and I'm going to do all these things. But I'm not going to wait on you, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm not going to let you slide just because I'm driving, right? Facts, yes. And and I think that and it doesn't necessarily mean that because we're not talking about individual people, right? Right. We're talking about the government number one mm-hmm. because they allowed it to happen, and and number two, I think we're also talking about those who experience the privileges of these things, and at the very least won't even acknowledge that these things have done serious harm to our community. Where was the NRA with Philando Castile? So so I, I love I'm glad you brought that up because that, that's what gets me. In these situations, the NRA, they are appealing to a particular audience. That audience that that is kind of faceless. It's not it's not 
white people everywhere, but it's a particular group. We already know what it is, bro. Well. Well, we, at repu- least this, Republi- is the, this is the sense we have. Rep- Rep- it's Republican white people who give. They're, they are not for gun rights. They're for the rights, technically, of their donors who have guns. I mean, they're white, constituents they're for white gun rights. Like it's, right? it's 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 just a fact. Like the the, the but, population. But why is that though? You tell me because be, be, because because of money. Okay. Well, then then we're back. We're back to the same things, and we have and why to, don't we have money to be able to. Yeah, I mean it's it's. But we still have cause, common because if I'm budgeting my money, I'm not giving it to the NRA. Well, but <laughs> I'm I will, about the stuff I want to give to. But I want to give. I may want to go get a gun right. legally. Yeah, like you know, Dave Chappelle has this great joke in in his. Um, I don't know if it was his last comedy special, or whatever. He's like, you know how we change the gun laws in this country? He said, I want every black person in here to go yeah. license get a license to carry a gun. Yeah, he, gun said register. Are, he said register. He said register because he said that because he thought they thought he was about to say vote. It, it was a dramatic pause, but he's so right, bro. Like, if we all did, oh, they would change everything. And we would be right within our, our rights to actually access this opportunity in this country. Mm-hmm. But the laws and the systems of America that, that say they're for everyone, they've actually been used against us. So the Second Amendment is not something we can hide behind. It's actually been weaponized in a certain way to cause us further oppression. So this goes right back to selective, not really selective values. Yeah, selective values. That may be a good phrase to put it, right? We choose to have certain values in certain situations when they're convenient and when they're expedient. And Facts. so we can we can apply them over here. Like, we believe in gun rights, and what happened here was wrong, right? But then all of a sudden it's crickets, right? Over here, when it happens to somebody, that our response is not going to prove to be expedient or convenient or comfortable. Facts, and right? I mean, listen, we, this this is again like the ideas have to travel, and that, so and that's an integrity issue, absolutely. But but it's also we were always back at integrity, but at the end of the day, like Malcolm talking about the explicit issues that we face in the North should travel to the South. And vice versa. Mm -hmm. Like we shouldn't just put ourselves in these pockets of regional conviction and not come together to accomplish a common goal. So like, and 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 I'll say that for black folks and that goes for our allies. Like if you say you down for the cause, then look at where the cause actually unifies us and actually mobilize your efforts to help us get to a better position in society. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think some of that is just political education you know, being educated politically. So, yeah, at the end of the day, I think, again, he gives us a, a, a good opportunity to, to you know, address our biases. In, in, and that would even mean internal biases amongst the community yeah. and unify us to a common goal that makes our situation and more, hopefully. And more than anything else, it's a straight-up reality check. Facts. Right? Yeah, you, you, you live in this fantasy world thinking that you're somehow better off and thinking that, you know, but in the grand scheme of things, you're still in jail. Facts. You just may, you, you just, in jail. you might not be in, uh, what is it called? Um, Alcatraz. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you still, <laughs> but you're still in Hines County <laughs> Penitentiary. Yeah. It, it, it's still jail. And again, this is what made Malcolm, this is, I mean, this quote right here, it's a simple quote. It's not saying anything that's like super radical, yeah. but it's profound and it's insightful, especially for somebody, even today, but especially for somebody in the 1960s when the when there was such a stark contrast yes. in what life was like in the South versus the North. Facts. And Malcolm saw then, right, 
Today, if somebody said that, you wouldn't necessarily think it was super profound or deep, even though a lot of people still have that mentality. Yeah. Because life looks kind of the same, right, in both places yeah. uh, for, for the black experience. But for Malcolm to realize this in, you know, the 60s, mm-hmm. when they were either... Jim Crow laws still either existed or just like just like the, the eraser marks were like still on the book. They hadn't even been blown off right, by the time right. he said this. You know that Malcolm was a he was a prophet. He was ahead of his time. Yeah, man. Yeah. And we and we gotta listen to him. We gotta learn from him because he's one of the few people that I think can get us to the next step because a lot of the tactics that he used are in a lot of ways still applicable today. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't about marching. Yeah. It wasn't because I think we're still trying to march. And, and, and I mean, marching is great, but the, the, the things that we're dealing with, and King acknowledges, they're subtle. Mm. Marching, you know, it's easy to march when you know that, oh, crazy bull from Alabama is going to sick dogs on you. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's going to be outcry because people had, hadn't had to look at this face-to-face, right? Especially yeah. people in the North, right? Yep. So, because they, they could say, well, we're not, we're not like those <laughs> Southern white people. Because it flips, right? It goes the same way. Like, people, white people in the North probably thought that they were better. <laughs> so, until Martin came to Chicago and they yep. started throwing bricks at him. Yep. Yep. So. Dope, man. Well, again, another... I think opportunity to just think more deeply about how we're impacted all across the country and hopefully a unifier. I think that was Malcolm's goal in the end. And, and how we view our situation, that never get complacent, never settle for a reality that is just better than, yeah. but not as good as it could be. And we know as Christians, this world is never going to be perfect. It's not our home. We're pilgrims passing through. Mm-hmm. But while we are here, we should pursue justice. We should pursue righteousness. We should pursue perfection. And as much as, but also recognize that it, that we're never going to obtain it because that leaves us dependent on Jesus and that leaves us longing and, and just knowing that like, you know, one day we'll get the rest. Yeah. We won't have to work because we, if, if we get complacent, this is my last point. There's, there's people that are going to suffer as a result of our complacency. Mm-hmm. It's not about our situation. It's about loving our neighbor to say, I can't afford to be complacent, even though I might be happy with my plight. I might be happy with my situation. But my silence means that other people who have less than I have, who are suffering more than I have, are going to continue to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, bro. Well... Thank you all for joining us this episode. We'll look forward to getting into some more of these quotes. For more resources related to Malcolm X, please visit our website, makeitplain.co, where you can subscribe to the show at Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Radio Public, Google, or just grab our RSS feed and never miss a show while you're at it. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple and Spotify. Remember, our goal is 300 ratings on Apple Podcasts and 100 ratings on Spotify. You can help us reach those goals and it'll go a long way. You can also just share the podcast with a friend as well. Be sure to visit our website and download our free resource, Make It Plain Season 1 Discussion Guide. Join us next week as we continue our reflections on the words and life of Malcolm X. Peace. Peace.